The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So what I wanted to talk about today is delusion. And um, delusion is usually defined as a fixed belief that's firmly maintained despite being contradicted by what is generally accepted as reality. Um, in Buddhist practice, though, we come to discover that um, what's usually accepted as reality is really based on widely held misperceptions. Um, so delusions can range from the gross to the subtle. You're all familiar with the gross delusions, such as what happens when religions and countries all believe that they've, you know, they're the right way. You know, and of course, obviously, if 10 different religions believe they're all the right way, you know, uh, nine of them have to be deluded, right? So um, delusions are, are, you know, can be very gross. We can see the damage they cause. Uh, you know, most of the uh, so much huge suffering in the world is caused by those delusions of basically their point of view. You know, this is the way things should be. It's just a point of view that causes the suffering in the world. And in the same way, the point of view is what causes a lot of our personal suffering. And, um, you know, on a more personal level, we see a lot of the insecurities people have, um, a lot of the neurosis people have. Um, and as you get pathological, you get phobias and you get addictions and psychoses. Um, we have so much suffering in this culture from distorted self-image. Uh, by false beliefs. But Buddhism addresses a subtler form of delusion yet. The core delusion that we work with um, in meditation practice and Buddhist practice um, is that we believe that if we only get what we want, then we'll be happy. And so we keep chasing that, you know, trying to always get what we want, trying to avoid what we don't want. And we use that as a strategy for happiness that doesn't actually work. Because it means you can only be happy when you're getting what you want. And how much of the time do we really get what we want? Um, so that's a really the basic delusion that we're working with. Um, we're taught that... Um, that the craving to get what we want, um, you know, it's okay to want something. You know, we can want to be well-fed. We can want to be, have shelter. Those are the natural wants that uh, keep us surviving on this planet. You know, they're important wants. Um, but there's a certain craving that, that can come with those wants where you just have to have it. And so what we're addressing is that tightness, that contraction around wanting what we want. And uh, we're taught that that wanting, that, that contracted wanting, comes from three roots, and we call them greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, so greed is um, when, we, when we grab something. Uh, hatred is when we push it away. We don't want it in our lives. And um, we call it delusion when we're confused. You know, we don't know what we want. Um, each one of the three roots um, gives rise to a whole bunch of little, um, 
basically all the conflictive emotions and mental states that we have. For instance, greed, to name a few, um, includes envy, lust, selfishness, wanting, gluttony. Um, you know, hatred ranges from, you know, mild irritation, annoyance to um, rage and major hatred. Um, delusion can give, er- can give rise to things like arrogance, where we think we're better than somebody else. You know, where um, we're prideful, you know, um, we make presumptions, we're conceited. Uh, so those are all different variations of delusion. Basically, greed says I want. Hatred says I don't want. Delusion says I don't know what I feel or what I want or don't want. I don't even know that I am feeling or wanting. Um, so it's often really easy to see the effect of these, um, po- you know, we call them the poisons. The, the greed, hatred, and delusions are what poison our mind from our happiness. And um, in children, you know, you, you can see a child playing happily, and somehow they get the idea they want an ice cream, you know. And so they start thinking, oh, yeah, I really want an ice cream. And they're still happy, and then they want it, and all of a sudden the happiness starts contracting, and now they really want it really bad, and they're no longer happy, especially if it's not coming. So, so let's say they get that ice cream, and then they just, you know, nobody's watching them, so they keep finishing the carton, you know, and then a little bit later they have a stomach ache, you know, and then they really want that stomach ache to go away. You know, so we see that really easily. You know, you, you also see a child, you know, they're, they're playing with something and, you know, their ball goes out into the street and they very delusionally, they just go running out and chase it, you know, totally unaware of the dangers of the situation. So we see that in children. They're just run by, you know, I want, I don't want, and, oh, what's happening? You know, they don't know what's happening. And, um, but that's actually how most of us live our lives most of the time. And, um, you know, one of the reasons uh, that I, start, I thought about giving this talk, um, I thought about this a while back. Um, how many of you have staff retreat before? A lot of you? Yeah. One of the instructions that at some point in retreats that often comes up is, um, you know, teacher usually gives a talk on paying attention to these three forces in your meditation. Because, you know, we've been talking to them outside in our daily life, but, but they come up in our own minds, you know, where we're sitting there nicely meditating and, um, you know, we're waiting for the lunch bell to ring, you know, or um, the person in front of us um, um, keeps moving around, they're making too much noise, or they're breathing too heavily, and, and we're getting very annoyed with them. So when we're meditating, you know, it's a perfect time to watch these forces in our minds. Um, but what used to happen to me on, you know, on retreat when I'd hear these instructions is they'd say, you know, so pay attention to the greed, hatred, and delusion that comes up in your mind. They'd say the word delusion, and it was like, huh? You know, <laughs> I couldn't figure out what to do with it. You know, I would just, uh, it was so obvious when I wanted something and so obvious when I didn't want something. You know, but how do you notice when you don't know what you want? When you don't know that you, you know, the, the, the main thing about delusion is that you don't know you're deluded. That's why you're deluded. So how do you work with delusion? And so every time I would hear that instruction, my mind would just kind of gloss over. <laughs> and um, 
So that's why I, you know, I started really thinking about this. Um, you know, one of the very entertaining parts of, of Gros dilution that happens on retreat, uh, many of you have probably heard of this, but um, there's something called the Vipassana Romance. Um, and what happens, there's also the opposite, which is called a Vipassana Vendetta. And, um, and I had, for instance, you know, what happened with me, I'll, I'll talk about a Vendetta, okay? And the person in front of me during the, I did this very long retreat, and they were sitting in front of me, and I noticed as the day went on, they get closer and closer. So by that, at the end of the day, they're close to my lap. And I was, I would just kind of, okay, aversion, aversion. But every time I, there was a break where I could, and she wasn't sitting there, I would just push the, her sabotin forward, and we'd start this little dance again. And so it went on for, you know, weeks, you know, and, um, you know, and I had to work with my aversion. It's like, what is their problem, you know, and, um, you know, and eventually just got very equanimous with it. I just very gently move it over. And and at the end of the retreat, you know, I realized, you know, I had had like this, this uh, a little bit of contracted feeling towards her. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, Oh, I really hope I didn't, you know, disturb you at all with moving back. The person in front of me smelled so bad. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, so that was a little, little vendetta, minor vendetta. Some, some, some people describe more intense ones. <laughs> um, that people have fallen in love with someone, you know, they just see someone across the hall and they know this is just the right person, you know. And Gil talks about a woman that he had a Vipassana romance with. And at the end of the retreat, you know, they spoke to each other and she opened her mouth and she had, she was from France. She had a thick French accent. And I mean, not that there was anything wrong with the accent, but it was just like, that wasn't who he was in love with. <laughs> the person who he was in love with didn't have an accent. So, so those are, you know, those are very obvious delusions that, that we can have. Um, one of the things that I noticed was that um, both desire um, and aversion are hardwired in us. You know, a plant, all living systems, a plant moves towards the light. Um, all living systems move towards the pleasant towards what's helpful that way, and they move away from pain. And um, so I wondered if there was uh, an equivalent purpose to delusion. What was, why, why are we deluded? Why are we so incredibly deluded? Uh, there's got to be some use for that. And so I started um, really thinking about, you know, what the good things about delusion have been in my life. And... Um, one example is that um, the illusion that, you know, that one is smarter than other people can give us a sense of confidence when we're afraid. Um, thinking you're the, you're the greatest might make you persevere in, you know, when there's difficulty. Um, total denial can help you feel safe and not panic. Uh, it can save your life. If you don't know, I, I remember I was in India, you know, and I went there when I was very young, and I knew nothing about uh, insects and bugs and things like that. And I was c- kind of camping in this open area, and um, 
you know, and there'd be all these things crawling around and, you know, and I was really happy. And, and, um, and, you know, this friend of mine, uh, um, spent, spent the night next to me one night and he said, oh, well, you know, that's a scorpion. <laughs> and it was just like the delusion just helped me, you know, helped me stay really comfortable. I would have stayed in the same place, but been totally uptight all night knowing that it was dangerous. Um, well, that's not an example of how it keeps you safe, but just how it can keep you um, feeling feeling comfortable. <laughs> um, the delusion that you're weak and incapable can keep you out of harm's way. People who feel weak may not do something dangerous. Um, so all those are actually strategies of survival. And they're not conscious strategies that we decide, okay, I'm going to be a wimp so I don't have to put myself in danger. You know, they're strategies that, that we unconsciously um, arise as a way to, you know, deal with the difficulties in our life. They're not optimal ways of doing it, but they are ways of doing it. And um, one, one delusion I think that we all find useful. How many people think you're going to die today? Right. <laughs> OK, now there's no reason to actually I mean, there's lots of people dying today who weren't planning on it. You know, that's reality. Any of us could die today. And the delusion that we're going to live for at least this many years in front of us is what allows us to plan a future, allows us to go to college, get educated, uh, get good at a skill. Um, you know, it's a delusion that, you know, it might be an educated guess, but still it's, it's the idea, you know, we really believe it. Otherwise, you know, if we go, God, I might die tomorrow. I'm not going to go to school today. <laughs> um, so the, the next thing I want to talk about is something called, um, the Pali word is called vipalasa, and it refers to distorted perceptions. Um, um, the vipalasa is the uh, distorted perceptions of the way we see the world. And one of the ways we see the world is that we see what's impermanent and we think of it as permanent. Uh, for instance, people think that marriage is necessarily going to last, uh, that love is going to last, it's forever. We tend to think, like I said, that life is going to last, you know, but obviously it's not, it doesn't, or that we're going to have health. And we treat our lives as if those things are permanent. I mean, we know better intellectually, but we run our lives as if those things are, are a given, are permanent. Um, the other misperception is, is that we misunderstand, we look at suffering and we think it's happiness. Um, for instance, owning a lot of things, a lot of people go, oh yeah, I want that and that, oh I wish I had all this money so I could buy all this stuff. But in reality, a lot of people who have a lot of stuff find it's burdensome. They have to, they can't find it, they, you know, they have to take care of it, uh, and then they have to worry about somebody taking it away from them. So they might think that, yes, all that stuff makes me happy, but it actually might actually not make you happy. Um, the other thing is, uh, the other misperception is that what's empty of self, we uh, view as being who we are. 
And a good example of that, and without going into a big uh, discussion about self and not self, okay, is um, has anyone had a bad hair day? Um, so, I mean, it's so common in our society to be so identified with the way we look that so many people are actually spend a lot of their day being in a bad mood because their hair is a little bit out of place. Um, and, um, and in the same way, we identify with our jobs, with our success, um, with our status in life, we treat those things as if, oh, that's who I am. You know, that's who I am. And that identification is a misperception of who we are. I mean, it's pretty obvious we're not our hair, you know, and that you're still the same person if you shave it all off. Uh, but in identifying with it, when we are actually self-conscious that our hair is a mess and, and are suffering over it, it's because at that moment we are believing this is me, the person with this hair. This is who I am. This is my identity. Um, and then the fourth distorted perception that the Buddha talked about is that we tend to believe that what's not beautiful is beautiful. And a good example like that is uh, fashion. Okay, um, I don't know, back to, I'll use hair, I'll st- stick to hair, but I don't know how many of you remember the beehives of the, I guess, 50s? Um, you know, it was thought to be the height of fashion. You know, you wrap the hair, you make it all stiff and huge, and, and that was, you know, the height of fashion. That was beautiful. Uh, at least to a lot of people, that was beautiful. Um, you know, and obviously today, you know, you know, it's not beautiful. So we mistook that. You know, all it was was style. Um, you know, we had bell bottoms. You know, some you know there were periods where bell bottoms were like really hip. Then then they were like, oh gosh, how could you wear something so ugly? And then then they come back, and you know, and people just buy into it. They believe the beautiful, the non beautiful is beautiful. Um, I you know I was talking to someone you know, and um, they were talking about. A relative, she says, oh, yeah, she's got no taste. You know, that's the whole point is taste is what you like in the moment. You know, it's not a, there's no rules to taste. Um, so ha- misperception is actually a circular process. Um, a distorted view generates a distorted perception. We basically see what we expect to see. Um, an example, um, uh, they did a study on placebos. I don't know if uh, any of you heard of this one, where they gave a pain pill um, to two groups of people. One group of people who had pain, they were all chronic pain uh, patients, uh, they were told that their pi- they're the same pills, they had nothing in them, okay? They're sugar pills. Uh, one group of people was told that the pills cost 10 cents, the other group of people were told that they cost $2.50 a pill. And guess what? The people uh, who had expensive pills thought it would, they really, really work well. The people with the cheap pills said these are worthless. Uh, so that's distorted perception. We see what we expect to see. Um, Another example they did with orange juice, you know, where they, um, 
uh, they took like Tropicana orange juice, the same juice to two groups of people. And one group, um, I'm sorry, no, they, they took two glasses of orange juice to each person. Uh, one glass was just straight Tropicana. The other glass was the same juice but had uh, a couple of drops that made it darker, just a little darker. And they asked them to compare the juices. Most people thought that the darker juice was a lot sweeter. So even our sense of taste is affected by what we expect to find there. Um, This isn't an odd quirk. This isn't just these kind of unusual, cute little stories. This is actually how we live our lives. And um, so I want to kind of go, go into the detail, a little bit more detail of how we uh, delude ourselves, the actual process of th- that, we, that occurs like this. Okay. Um, the first thing that happens is we have a distortion of perception. Okay, what that means is that we see something or we feel something and we're, we're actually wrong about it, but we missee it. Uh, an example might be um, a while back, you know, they, they had some images of Mars. And, um, you know, if you looked at it, it looked like there's this little person sitting there on a rock thinking, you know. I don't know if any of you saw that. I mean, it really looked like a person on a rock, you know. And, um, and so you go, oh, wow, there's a person on Mars. Well, some people, I mean, most of us, you know, kind of laugh it off, but some people actually took it so seriously that they actually, uh, websites were created around this, around the government conspiracy, um, you know, that's trying to hide the fact that people, you know, there's people on Mars. And, and uh, people got very much into this, you know, and uh, all based on a misperception from a picture that they saw. Um, the second level of distortion is distortion of thought. So what happens is we see this picture, you know, and, you know, we, have, we haven't had it verified, but, you know, we, um, you know, we sort of want to believe it because we have a tendency to believe that kind of thing. And then we start justifying it. And every time something comes in into our perception, we just we tell ourselves stories about it. Well, Joe is a scientist and he believes the story. And and look how there's three new websites on it. It's got to be true. And you support it and support and support it until it becomes a very solid belief. There is life on Mars. There is uh, a conspiracy by the government to hide it. And and the really interesting thing that happens at this point, once your view is fixated, that's called delusion, a fixated view, it doesn't matter what enters. You subconsciously filter out anything that disagrees with your view. You, You might hear it, but it doesn't enter. And so only the, the only things that enter are the things that support your view. And you get stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's like a vicious cycle. You know, once you have a strong view, you don't let in, you, you have continuous misperception because you, you're not allowing anything else in. Even among very wise teachers, Delusion can persist. And one of the examples that, um, this is from way back, on, you know, maybe 15 years ago, there was a Tibetan monk uh, was on a panel, I forget, at, at some university with a bunch of scientists. And, you know, they were discussing um, 
the universe, you know, Buddhism, certain things. And and um, the monk, who was a very humble, very wise person, he happened to mention that the earth was flat. And uh, one of the scientists, who was very, very respectfully, explained to him how well, it's not flat. Uh, and the monk looked at him and very open to, to say, oh, oh, of course, you're right, it's not flat. Uh, but at the time of the Buddha, it was flat. <laughs> so, so our beliefs um, can be very, or delusion, our beliefs can be very, very uh, strong despite of evidence to the contrary. Uh, one other thing I want to say about delusion, you know, um, you know, because delusion is considered the root source of, of why we suffer in our lives, why there is um, unsatisfactoriness in life, um, there's a tendency to make it the enemy. You know, and um, one of the things that I really thought about, you know, in be, it's and and when we're dealing with these forces in our mind, the moment we make a force the enemy, we're actually um, it actually gets in our way. And for me, the, in the same way that I see that all these maladaptive ways, strategies that I've used in my life, you know, to keep going and to um, keep growing, um, and I see them as, as my friends. You know, I see them as, um, as what has helped me survive this long and has helped me grow this long. And so um, I, t- I like to think of it more as um, training wheels. They're, um, they're strategies like training wheels where you, you use them until you can actually stand on your own without them, um, until you can learn to balance without them, which at first is really scary, you know, and then, um, you know, it becomes easy, it becomes a joy to, you know, to bicycle freely to, without those. Um, So I want to work, talk a little bit about um, how to actually work with delusion um, in meditation, which is the reason I, um, I actually started thinking about this uh, subject. And, um, you know, again, since it's built into delusion that we don't know when we're deluded, um, you know, it can be very slippery and vague. Um, so are you familiar with the um, three personality types? I'll just very briefly tell you, because um, some of you may not have heard it, but we think of the greed, hatred, and delusion types of, of personalities. They're gross exaggerations, but they're, they're used to make a point. Okay? And you think of it as three guests at a party. Um, the greed type enters the party and they look around they see wow what a beautiful painting I've got to get it you know and you know they go to the table layout of food and they go oh what a beautiful layout I want this and I want that and I want that you know the version type walks into the party and they go oh look at that stain on the carpet you know and oh look at that layout it's all crowded and you know the lighting's too dark and you know and the delusion type walks in there and they don't see anything you know they just kind of walk in and they may not even notice oh there's food where's food you know <laughs> so that's a delusion type that's kind of a stereotype of these three types and we all have a little bit of all of those um but some of you might recognize yourselves like strongly you know into one of those types um so when we 
are automatically do these behaviors. You know, for instance, we've had, I had a friend, uh, we have, um, my husband does some sculpture. You know, we have all of the sculpture in our room, you know, and she's visited over and over and over again. And one day she says, after, you know, years actually, <laughs> she says, oh, you've got some sculpture up. <laughs> And, you know, that's a typical delusion type. You know, that's typically, it's like she just never noticed, you know. Um, so one of the things that we can do with mindfulness is we can de-automate. Um, we live our lives automatically so much of the time. And when we're living automatically, we're actually, um, well, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say you're driving down the freeway. How many of you have gone 20 miles without even knowing you're driving. Anybody not experienced that? You know, so what's happening? What's actually happening during that time? You know, the mind is using, um, you know, some subtle cues, but some of it is your actually memory of what it's like to drive. <laughs> and um, so we're on automatic. And so, you know, we're on automatic when we you know, walk to the car, we're automatic when we go to the refrigerator, uh, when we call someone sometimes. We're just kind of running an automatic. By slowing down and bringing mindfulness into the moment, we can de-automate that and see, um, is, that really, is that really the way I think it is? You know, to see through our senses newly. Um, we have a glass of water. When's the last time you actually paid attention to the taste of the water when you drank it? Um, so that de-automating, that slowing down, that paying attention is a very important part of uh, breaking through delusion. Um, you know, another example, um, a school teacher, uh, would, uh, an example of, you know, we see what we expect to see. So in the same way, when we're driving, you know, well, we expect, you know, hey, this is just going to be a straight shot. You know, and um, sometimes people are so into that, uh, whatever their mind is, that they don't even respond quickly if there's an accident because they're so distracted by their own minds. Um, so back to we see what we want to, what we, we tend to see what we want to see, what we expect to see. And um, there was an old classic experiment where they gave a teacher um, uh, a whole bunch of, underachievers and um, told her that they were overachievers, that these were your really smart students. And um, to everybody's surprise, uh, they performed amazingly well because the teacher expected them to perform well. So it's our expectations of what's happening are very powerful. If any of you have kids, you know, you tend to think my kid has this weakness, that we, you know, all these things about our children. I think it's a very powerful thing to question. Um, if we hold the belief that people are not trustworthy, that's what we find. We look for the ways that they're not trustworthy. And we don't see the ways you can trust them. Uh, if we dislike someone, we might will focus only on their negative qualities. Um, and in fact, the training for deautomating that habit is when you dislike someone, look for something to like in that person, just to break that pattern. 
It doesn't matter how much you dislike someone. There's something that you could like about them. It might be, you know, their shoes. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what it is. You know, might not, you know, might be the fact that they're, oh, look how persevering they are in making their point. Um, or, oh, they have a very strong voice. <laughs> you know, there might be, um, you know, there's always a good qual- some quality that you could like if you gave it attention. And that's a way of de-automating or automatic habits of, oh, I don't like that person. Oh, they're, the, you know, of, of not really seeing what's in front of us. Um, you know, in the same way, you know, if you've ever bought a, you know, bought a car, you know, you look and you know exactly what you want. You're going to get, say, Volkswagen van, right? And you know that's what you're going to get. You go out, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of Volkswagen vans you never saw before because you want it, you see it. So, um, so then the next thing I want to say in terms of working uh, with um, delusion is that the five hindrances working with the five hindrances in meditation is one of the most powerful practices for uncovering delusion in fact the word uh, for hindrances is nivarana it means covering and they cover reality so if you you know if you want something and you want it really badly you tend to um, embellish it like have any of you ever you know been in love, you know, when you first meet someone and, or you have a crush, you know, they are so wonderful. And you see only all the good things, all the great things about them. And, you know, it takes, it takes a while, you know, for some people a month, for some people a year, you know, before they start noticing the other qualities. Um, you know, and seeing the person really as, you know, uh, a little more balanced manner. Um, so desire makes us see what we want to see. Um, and it emphasizes the good aspects. Um, aversion keeps us from seeing what we don't want to see, and um, keeps us from seeing what we don't want to know or we don't want to experience. And um, a good example is if you have pain in meditation, for instance. Let's say you have a, um, you know, a pain in the knee. Um, the tendency for the mind is to not want it. You know, pain's unpleasant. We don't want it. So we kind of keep our distance from it. You know, we push it away from our minds. And we actually might be kind of braced against it. And we think, yeah, I know the pain's there, you know. And so the, you're thinking you're being mindful. But really what's happening is you're, you're resisting the pain. And people have a lot of strategies around that, such as, I'll pay attention so that it goes away. You know, um, I'll pay attention so it makes it easier to deal with. But um, once you really see through this hindrance of aversion, you can actually see what is this pain made up of? Oh, it's made up of a lot of varying little sensations that change and move around. Um, the same thing with the other three hindrances, you know, sloth and torpor. I mean, how many of you have ever experienced sloth and torpor in meditation? You know, you can't see much, you know, it just covers reality. And, you know, restlessness, you know, your mind is moving so fast, it can't land anywhere to see what's happening. It just keeps jumping from one thing to another. Um, so if there's a hindrance present, delusion is present. You can't see clearly. Um, and then the last thing I want to say that, that can be used for working with delusion really directly is actually um, 
uh, contemplation or reflection directly um, on the three characteristics of existence. Okay, and just to say that very, very um, more simply, um, the building blocks of delusion can be can be said to be distorted views of impermanence, of dukkha, whether something satisfactory or unsatisfactory, and of a distorted sense of who we are. Um, so we can take those three things and at different times we can actually spend some time contemplating on them, contemplating on impermanence. That's the first one. You know, actually really notice, you know, in your life, is there anything permanent? Really hang out with the feeling. Is there any thought that's hanging around? Is there any experience you have that, that you know, we all understand that intellectually. And uh, I'm not talking about having a discourse in your mind, but just hanging out, reflecting on really what is impermanence in our lives. Um, we can make dukkha or unsatisfactoriness the theme of, of our reflection. And what that's just, that's very simply, is there some sort of unsatisfactoriness right now? Is there any unsatisfactoriness right now? Just that, that sensitivity to that. Um, often, this, a very slight feeling of it's not quite right is what motivates us to do something that's not particularly skillful. Um, it's what motivates us to, um, you know, uh, do addictive behavior, uh, to um, just do things that aren't particularly helpful in our lives. Um, As we, and then the third contemplation is to really look inside and see if you can find a solid self. Now, again, I'm not talking from the point of view of, of trying to decide whether there is self or no self, because the Buddha never wanted to have that conversation because it's not uh, worthwhile. But it's really about, are my identifying with, what am I identifying with as myself? Can I find anything? Are all the things that I identify with during the day, are any of those real? Because so much of our persona, who we move around with in our lives, is this solid idea of who we are. And by actually focusing on that, it helps break through a lot of delusion. I'm this kind of person. I'm, you know, these are my abilities. You know, we have these fixated ideas of who we are. If we actually look inside and we see that everything that's happening is just, you know, processes coming and going, you know, that none of it is fixed, you know, then our sense of self can be much more fluid and it can allow us to be much more flexible and much more open in our lives. If we look inside, can we find anyone there? So um, I'd like to just end with a very short quote from Lippo. Um, The birds have vanished into the sky. And now the last cloud drains away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. So.